Hello and welcome. Welcome back indeed to the Meg podcast. Um, this is, is it really? It's a season three, series three, whatever we want to call it. Um, we're just back from a bit of a break at the end of summer. Um, we are possibly refreshed, um, but who knows? Uh, we might find out during the course of this uh, this podcast. So anyway, yeah, we're kicking off again. Um, glad to say we have the uh, our, our two regulars with us. Um, so Richard Jeffrey Cook and Matt Haywood are here once again. Um, we're going to kick off this season with a uh, just a look at a, a what I think so a real core period for Ancients Wargaming. You know, a bit something you know nearly everybody who gets into Ancient Wargaming will have heard of. We look at, at the late Roman Republic. So you know, instantly Caesar, Pompey, all of that stuff. Well. Some of that stuff. I say all of that because, as I'm sure, when Richard gets around to doing history stuff, it's it's a big, big period because it's one of the, I think, fair to say, Richard, one of the better documented periods in history. It is indeed, yes. Um, uh, unlike most of the history we tend to cover, which has a scattered reference here or there, we are absolutely full of sources for the uh, late Republic, courtesy of Caesar, Cicero's letters, um, Suetonius and uh, um, Plutarch um, and Polybius to some extent in the earlier bits. So uh, uh, lots of information to use. Yeah. And Livy. And Livy indeed, yes. <laughs> I have to confess, it's not one of my favourite reads, but obviously uh, an extensive sort source. So in, in terms of the podcast, we're going with the usual. Richard will give us his historical overview, his pearls of wisdom as ever, and he always manages to do brilliantly and concisely. And the concisely bit is why I'm not let to do it, because I just ramble on. Um, and then we'll have a look, dive into some of the armies that will be mentioned. Um, I will say it's just going to be some of the armies, because if we went through all of the possible armies you could go through in the period of the late Republic, uh, I think we could be having a stab at the world's longest podcast. Um, so for sheer sanity, we'll avoid that. Although maybe at some stage we'll return to some of the other ones, because there are some really interesting armies there. Um, after we've done that, we'll just touch on some other bits and pieces, as we often do, sort of the, any other business. Um, but I think, as ever, enough of me waffling on at the beginning. Take it away, Richard. Thank you, Nick. So um, let's look at the late Republic. Um, so towards the end of the second century BC, um, the Roman Republic had sort of um, overcome Carthage. It had uh, uh, overcome the Greeks and it controlled Italy, Sicily, Sardinia, large areas of Spain, southern Gaul, um, Africa, which is essentially the sort of area around Carthage in modern Tunisia and a bit of Algeria, um, Greece, uh, Macedon, and Asia, Roman Asia being the, largely the kingdom of Pergamon which had been bequeathed to the uh, Republic, um, which is quite an interesting concept you get at this idea that um, leaders could in their will, uh, which they deposited in Rome, uh, bequeath their kingdom to the 
um, to Romans. So, uh, um, yes, it was um, it was already becoming quite an extensive area to control, particularly because at this time, Roman, the Roman army was still essentially a citizen army. Um, so uh, it was sort of um, annually levying um, the citizens who were wealthy enough to afford arms to partake in the army and then getting the allies to supply an equal number of troops. Um, this combined with the fact that there were, uh, were um, uh, proconters and propetors who were the um, uh, governors of the provinces who were out to make a fast buck uh, and one of the easy ways of doing that was invading the neighbours um, and extorting money or capturing slaves. Um, this this led to quite a, a, a sort of turnover of troops. And the problem was the, the land was getting concentrated um, in more and more in the hands of the wealthy. And so it was becoming an ever increasing struggle to um, get enough troops to meet the needs of the Republic. Um, and around this time, uh, in fact, between 111 and 104 BC, the uh, Romans got embroiled in what's known as the Jugurthine War. So the previous king of Numidia, Nipisca, uh, he had died, leaving his kingdom split in three between his two legitimate sons and an illegitimate son called Jugurtha. Um, uh, Jugurtha just basically decided he was going to overthrow his brothers. Uh, I think he killed one and the other, Adurbal, um, he basically fled to Rome to appeal for assistance. Um, and in what becomes a pattern that you see quite regularly in the Roman Republic, the Romans typically uh, underestimate their opponent, so send in a few troops who struggle to achieve anything or often get killed um, and then eventually send in enough resources to actually uh, win the war. Um, but usually it takes a bit of time. Um, this was uh, campaign is notable because partway through a upcoming new man um, Gaius Marius, a new man in this context meant someone whose uh, forefathers hadn't um, reached the highest offices under what was known as the Cursus Honorum, the route to power basically. Um, uh, he basically used his influence to get uh, a lot of people back in Italy to campaign to have the existing commander replaced by uh, Gaius Marius um, and this was successful and uh, Marius uh, got command of the Jugurthine War and amongst the um, le lieutenants he took with him was a relatively unknown um, aristocrat who had fallen on relatively hard times called Luke, Lucius Cornelius Sulla. Um, and it was uh, Sulla who actually captured um, Jugurtha in a bit of under, under, underhand strategy, so to speak. Um, 
And the Roman way of doing things was that whatever your actions were as a subordinate, you let your commander in chief chief take the credit. Well, um, Solo wasn't up for this, so he he actually made sure that everybody in Rome knew who really was responsible for capturing <laughs> Jugurtha. So um, this started the um, sort of tensions, perhaps, between uh, Sulla and Marius. Um, now, while the Jugurthine War was going on, then another even more serious war had erupted, which is known as the Cimbrian War. Um, and this was from 113 BC, where it first started, and it was to go on to 101. Um, the Cimbri and the Teutones were German tribes that migrated from the sort of Jutland area, just sort of southern Denmark, northern Germany area, um, and had headed south, basically in, look of, in looking for new lands. Um, it may have been there were changing sea levels, climate change or something like that. But anyway, they decided to move on. Uh, and in 113, they actually annihilated a Roman army under Gnaeus Papirius Carbo. Um, and at this point, they could have had a free passage into Italy. But for some reason that nobody really understood, including the Romans at the time, um, they in fact headed off into Gaul instead. Now, maybe they felt the Italian climate was too hot for them. Uh, that's my own theory. But uh, anyway, um, so off they go marching around Gaul. And then in 109 BC, they defeat another Roman army that was sent to protect Gaul. That one was under Marcus Junius Silanus. Uh, now, not content with that, the Romans send yet another army. And in 106, that gets defeated. Um, that one was under uh, Lucius Cassius Longinus Ravella. Um, so by this time, the Romans um, are getting a bit fed up. Um, and in 105, they send a absolutely massive army, possibly up to 80,000 men, which is the size of the army uh, that uh, fought at Cannae, possibly bigger. Um, and that they sent under two separate generals, uh, Gnaeus Malleus Maximus, who was the consul for 105, and a proconsul, um, Quintus Civilius Caepio. Um, now, the two generals did not get on at all, and basically neither wanted the other to take any credit for the victory. And in typical Roman fashion, when you had two commanders who weren't cooperating, they really foul it up. Um, and this results in the both armies getting uh, completely annihilated. Um, and as a result, um, Rome was in absolute terror. They've, um, the fear was that these um, Germans were going to march through Italy and sack Rome in the way the Gauls had 300 years or so earlier. Um, so uh, in desperation, they seek out the successful commander. Uh, and who should be returning from the Jugurthine War but Gaius Marius? 
Um, so they immediately elect him consul, uh, which strictly wasn't legal because there was supposed to be a 10 year gap. I think it was between one consulship and the next. Um, but in like all good Romans, if you needed to, you could bend the rules. Um, so they set aside the law uh, and, in a, and basically elected Gaius Marius as consul. And he was to be elected for a further four times uh, in a row, uh, right down to um, uh, 101 BC. Um, and to his credit, Marius um, basically reorganizes the army, um, takes uh, control, and in 102, he defeats the Teutones at Aquisextii in southern Gaul, and then in 101, defeats the Cimbri at Vercelli, uh, which is in uh, northern Italy in the Po Valley. So, um, uh, as a result, he's acclaimed as a sort of hero of Rome. Um, and Marius appears to be the first Roman general who basically took the poorer citizenry, the ones who couldn't afford to equip themselves, um, and basically gives them the equipment and gives them sort of rudimentary pay with the promise of land when they retire, uh, and sort of starts to create the idea of a professional Roman army. Um, uh, now, he, while he's doing this, some other Roman generals are still recruiting troops the old sort of the old traditional way. So it wasn't a sudden change overnight. Um, but the significant thing was it started to break the link between the Roman state and its soldiers. So uh, with the effect of Marius's reforms was that the soldiers were loyal to the general rather than to the state. And although this took time to materialize, it, it becomes the noticeable feature of the later Republican Roman armies. So um, uh, Rome carries on, takes over for another few years. Uh, Marius is what's known as the first man in Rome from his credible. At this time, he's got six consulships, uh, which is unrivaled by anybody else. Uh, but Rome is still operating the Republican system where it elects two new consuls each year. Um, well, in uh, 91 BC, um, the tensions which have been building up between Rome's allies and Rome itself break out into what is known as the social war. Um, this isn't because it was a friendly sort of thing. It's because... Um, <laughs> The allies were known as Socchio, which uh, it was the Latin for for ally, I guess. Um, so that's why it becomes known as the social war. Um, the, the Italian states sort of get together and form a rival state to Rome, which they call Italia, which is where Italy actually gets its name from. Um, so. Um, in Rome immediately, um, the thing that actually triggers the war is actually the assassination of a um, 
a politician who proposed that the Allies should get the citizenship. Um, in the panic that ensues at the start of the war, Rome actually then uh, basically concedes the citizenship to encourage the Allies to side with Rome. Uh, and this, this is actually quite effective, even though it actually would take three years to actually end the war, um, with the Samnites being amongst the last of the Italian tribes to actually capitulate um, and uh, submit to Rome. Uh, but the effect at the end of the social war is essentially the distinction between Rome and its allies has pretty much disappeared. Uh, and Italy is for the first time largely united. Uh, now, while the social war has been going on, over in the other side of the Roman world, uh, there is a king of a relatively small kingdom called Pontus, um, which is on the north shore of Turkey, essentially, uh, who takes advantage of the situation and invades first uh, the Ro Roman province of Asia and then actually uh, moves his armies over to Greece. Um, so Pontus was a sort of successor state of, I suppose, the Seleucid kingdom, um, which so essentially at the time it had a typically sort of Hellenistic Greek type, type army. Uh, Mithridates himself is a very colourful character. Um, he was so afraid of poison, being poisoned that he took antidotes every day. And eventually, when he tries to commit suicide by taking poison, the poison doesn't work. <laughs> um, but um, he um, he actually is no real commander. So he actually uses professional mercenary generals to actually command his armies. So at the end of the um, social war in 88 BC, um, Sulla actually is allocated to take the command of the fight to Mithridates. And this actually um, uh, triggers the envy of Marius, who then incites a tribune of the plebs um, uh, to basically reallocate the command to Marius. Um, Sulla, in the meantime, has already gathered his army and he responds to this um, law by basically marching on Rome. Um, and this is the first time an army actually uh, marches, a Roman army marches on Rome. Um, Marius escapes um, and Sulla um, takes out his vengeance on a few uh, politicians who were stupid enough to stay in Rome. And then after appointing his own officials, basically sets off for Greece to take the fight to Mithridates. Um, in the meantime, uh, Marius then returns to Rome and with uh, another politician, Lucius Cornelius Sinner, he takes charge of uh, Rome, raises an army and sends that army out to fight Mithridates as well. <laughs> Uh, but not to cooperate with Sulla. And this is one of those very rare occasions in history where you actually have two armies from the same state 
not cooperating with each other uh, because they're essentially engaged in civil war, but fighting the enemy first. That's the unique bit. In most states, you'd get the two armies fighting each other rather than fighting the enemy. Only in sort of Rome do you have this mentality where we'll beat up everybody else first and then we'll beat up ourselves. Uh, I'll, um, I'll just interject and say only in Republican Rome, because yeah. you know, the, the period I, I'm more knowledgeable about, the, you know, the, the later empire, you know, was, our, the Romans fought each other first and then sort of mopped up the any problems with external bodies later. So it, that really, really is very unusual. Yes, it's it's almost unique amongst um, ancient states. And it actually shows the success that the Roman Republican political system actually had in the sort of having the opportunity to get to the top of the tree. Um, and it's even still sort of thriving at that date. Anyway, in to get back to the story, um, in 86 BC, um, Sulla defeats the Pontic army in Greece, first at Chironia and then at Orchomenus, um, and kicks uh, the Pontics out of Greece and then heads over to Asia. Um, while he's over in Asia, the Marian army uh, uh, under um, uh, oh, I've forgotten the name. Anyway, the Marian army is also there. However, its commander loses the confidence of the troops and is um, assassinated by a subordinate called Fimbria, who then sort of um, uh, subsequently submits um, to Sulla. So you get um, Sulla actually ending up with control of both armies in Asia. Meanwhile, um, uh, sort of uh, Mithridates pulls back to Pontus, um, says he's very sorry, and uh, a sort of deal is done to end the war. So Sulla's now in the position, he's, he's victorious in Greece and Asia, and he returns to Italy to fight the Marians who are left in uh, Italy. By this time, Marius himself, he, he actually died uh, very early into his seventh consulship. Uh, but not until he had carried out the first of what were known as the prescriptions, whereby um, basically uh, anybody who was unpopular with the regime and had lots of money found themselves on a death list so that the uh, government could seize their financial assets. Um, uh, as, as one chap commented, it was his uh, Greeks marble statues that resulted in his, his conviction and death. Um, so, um, yeah, Sulla lands in Italy and fights a pretty quick campaign which expels the Marians from Italy. Uh, the campaign is probably most notable because it's the first appearance of a young general called uh, Pompey, who um, we will hear of later. Um, and Pompey, in fact, raises legions who uh, then join up with Sulla and help um, capture Italy. So the Marins are defeated. Uh, many of them flee to Spain, where uh, Gaius Marius actually had extensive estates and silver mines 
that's where he made a lot of his wealth. Um, and one of them, uh, a, a cousin, I think, of Marius called Sertorius, um, would uh, end up uh, leading a rebellion in Spain um, using Lusitanian allies. Um, and it would take from uh, 77 down to 72 BC for a combination of Pompey and the more experienced general Quintus Caecilius Metius Metellus Pius, um, nicknamed the Piglet, um, to actually defeat uh, Sertorius. Uh, again, using a, a time-honoured technique of um, sowing dissension and uh, um, in fact, Sertorius actually gets assassinated by a chap called Paperna, who can't um, control the army uh, and ends up getting very quickly defeated. Um, now, uh, meanwhile, while that's going on, Mithridates back in Pontus hasn't actually disappeared from the scene and seeing the Roman upsets, he in 73 BC uh, invades Bithynia again and threatens Roman Asia. So uh, out from Rome, out they send uh, a general who had already worked under Sulla called Lucullus. And from 73 to 66 BC, he would basically pursue Mithridates from Bithynia right through back to Armenia, where Mithridates had allied with Tigranes, who was an Armenian king who had quite successfully expanded and into Syria, uh, mopping up a lot of the city-states that uh, had been under Seleucid control. Um, so, um, bringing the story back to Italy, a group of escaped gladiators camping out on uh, Mount Vesuvius end up defeating first a a few cohorts of Romans sent to mop them up, then defeat an army under a praetor and ending up leading a, probably the most famous slave revolt. Um, and that, of course, was led by Spartacus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, Spartacus was probably a Thracian gladiator, um, not a true, he's described as a Thracian uh in uh, one of the histories anyway um probably he wasn't actually a thracian although we can't be certain of that but judging by his leadership skills um it's possible he was actually a convicted roman who was condemned to fight as a gladiator fought as a thracian gladiator and then ends up um leading the revolt um, the revolt um, carries on until um, 72 BC, when uh, after quite a lot of campaigning, is actually defeated by uh, Marcus Licinius Crassus. Um, and uh, um, Pompey at this time is returning from the Sertorian War in Spain, and he mops up a few of the groups of gladiators who had escaped the defeat by Crassus um, and then proudly announces that he's finished the war. So that, <laughs> not unnaturally, upsets 
Crassus. Um, and it actually probably takes Caesar to do a bit of um, patching up to, but the um, two of them get together and uh, actually get elected as the consuls for 70 BC. And it is Crassus along with Pompey and Caesar who actually go on to form the first triumvirate. And this is where politicians sort of work together. Um, in 66 BC, uh, Pompey, after quite a lot of planning in advance, uh, leads a campaign to defeat the pirates. Um, during the last 30 years or so, um, essentially the Mediterranean hadn't been properly policed by Rome. Um, back in the second century, early part of the second century, this sort of policing of pirates was done largely by the state of Rhodes in the eastern Mediterranean anyway. Um, but Rhodes had upset Rome and as a result, the slave markets of uh, which had been based in Rhodes, were re-diverted to Delos, the Greek island of Delos. And the Rhodian navy, um, as a result, hadn't been kept as um, efficient as it had been. And as a result, a lot of naval, a lot of coastal communities had decided to piracy was a good occupation. Um, there never being a lot of difference between being a fisherman and being a pirate in the ancient <laughs> world at the best of times. Um, anyway, in a lightning campaign, which lasts less than three months, I believe, Pompey sweeps the seas um, and uh, defeats the pirates, although this largely involves basically sending an over, over um, yeah, overwhelming numbers of ships, um, driving the pirates until they've got nowhere else to hide and then basically giving them a choice of fighting and dying or getting settled somewhere inland um and yeah it was, it was a masterful sort of campaign and, and made pompey extremely popular because things like the price of grain instantly dropped because the merchants could ship it over from places like africa and egypt without the fear of it, of the ships being rans held for ransom by the pirates. Um, so um, this increases Pompey's reputation. Um, so the first tribe of essentially sees um, Caesar and Pompey uh, getting elected as consul in 59 BC and then going on to be uh, elected as proconsul for the campaigns in Gaul, which obviously last uh, nearly 10 years. Um, so Caesar, um, in, interestingly, originally, it's it's believed his actual target for his campaign was going to be Illyria, um, which uh, had been a sort of thorn in Rome's side for a long time. But the opportunity comes up uh, with the Helvetii um, to uh, intervene in Gaul instead. So Caesar ends up um, campaigning in Gaul, invading Britain, which of course is very important for the British history, um, and also crossing over the Rhine, famously constructing a bridge, marching his armies across, uh, and then 
pulling them back the other side of the river. Um, so um, things are going pretty well until in 54 BC, Crassus dies campaigning against the Parthians um, in uh, where he gets defeated by getting sucked by uh, Arabs who are treacherous into um, uh, meeting the Parthians and uh, um, basically the Roman army falls apart as its cavalry gets killed off and uh, get, it gets surrounded by horse archers. Um, so um, with the death of Crassus, it leaves Caesar and Pompey as the two great men in Rome. Um, and the problem up until around the time of Crassus's death, Pompey and Caesar had gone pretty well. Pompey was actually married to Caesar's daughter, Julia. And that seems to have been a genuine love match. Um, uh, but unfortunately, uh, Julia dies in childbirth. Um, and um, Pompey, after that time, starts to become estranged to Caesar. And a group of anti-Caesarians convince Pompey to oppose Caesar which leads to the Rubicon and the Roman civil wars. Um, so um, uh, during the civil wars, um, Caesar's battles in Spain, um, in Africa, and uh, particularly at Pharsalus in Greece and Thessaly, where he defeats Pompey. Pompey flees to Egypt. Um, and the Egyptian uh, ministers, thinking it would please Caesar, assassinates uh, Pompey. Um, th that's a big mistake because uh, Caesar does not want anybody to think the idea that killing off Roman leaders is <laughs> going to be a good move. So um, they uh, end up in trouble and it leads to Caesar meeting Cleopatra. And now you need to brush up on your Shakespeare. Basically. <laughs> first with uh, first with uh, um, Caesar and the assassination of Caesar at the Ides of March, and then of course with uh, Antony and Cleopatra. Um, uh, yeah. So um, when he's assassinated, um, Caesar was actually planning a huge campaign. We believe uh, probably initially against the Dacians, but also ultimately, undoubtedly, to take revenge on the Parthians. Um, but that never happens. Um, the very quickly, um, the um, Republicans, led by Brutus and Cassius, um, uh, fall out. Uh, they fall out with Mark Antony, and a relatively unknown. A uh, nephew of um, uh, Caesar becomes adopted as his heir, and this is Octavian. And um, despite uh, physical handicaps, including asthma, um, actually proves to be a political genius, I think it's fair to say. He gathers around him very competent commanders, most notably Agrippa. Um, and at Philippi uh, in 42 BC, um, Octavian and Antony, but primarily Antony, 
um, defeat Brutus and Cassius. Uh, and this leads, um, well, and this is part of the new political foundation, which is the second triumvirate of Octavian, Antony and Marcus Aemilius Lepidus. So in the arrangement, Octavian gets the West, including Italy. Antony takes the East uh, and Marcus Aemilius Lepidus gets Africa. Uh, and this sets the trend, which basically was that uh, uh, Lepidus was very much the third party in this triumvirate. Um, unfortunately, the, uh, for Octavian in particular, the son of Pompeius, Sextus Pompeius, is now making a huge nuisance of himself. Uh, and he sort of captures part, large parts of Sicily and starts blockade, a naval blockade of Rome. Um, in, uh, and it takes a lot of Octavian's resources and he, he gets more and more upset because Antony never sends the reinforcements that he promises. Uh, and it takes basically until 36 BC um, to force um, Sextus Pompeius out of Sicily. Um, he actually flees to uh, Asia, where he's actually captured and executed without trial. Uh, um, so um, having defeated Sextus Pompeius, Octavian is now in a position to um, seize Africa from Lepidus. Lepidus is actually sent into exile and stripped of all his titles, except the title of Pontifex Mac. Pontifex Maximus, the head priest of Rome, a title which Caesar actually had held for a long time till his death, um, and which ultimately would be taken by the emperors of Rome. And eventually, when uh, Rome becomes a Christian state in the fourth century, it is the title that um, um, gets assigned eventually to the popes as the head of the Catholic Church and the Pope to this day, one of the titles of the Pope is Pontifex Maximus. Um, uh, so a big clash is coming between Antony and, Octa uh, and Octavian, and this ultimately leads to the Battle of Actium in 31 BC, um, uh, where Octavian uh, wins, um, pursues Antony and Cleopatra to Greece and establishes the Roman Empire. Um, and that in however long that took, 40 odd minutes, is a very potted history of the late Republic. As, as we mentioned, there is a huge amount of history and sources available. Um, so I'm going to instead recommend two works of fiction as the best way of getting into this period. Um, the first is by Alfred Duggan, uh, always a, a very good historical writer, and he wrote a book called He Died Young, which is the account of Mithridates of Pontus. Actually, is that, I may have got the wrong book now, I'm thinking about it. I, I anyway. think the Duggan, he died old, wasn't he? He died old, that might be it. Close. <laughs> it's one or the other. One or the other. Apologies for that. I knew I'd got it wrong somewhere. Anyway, uh, well worth a read. Um, and the other one I'd recommend is 
the First Man of Rome series uh, by Colleen McCulloch, who's perhaps better known for writing The Thornbirds, um, but is actually a, it's a six volume um, saga, uh, which covers this entire period. Um, and her historical research is brilliant. It is a work of fiction, uh, but some of her theories are actually very interesting indeed, and it makes a crack for a cracking read. There we go. Blimey, that 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 is that is quite some history covered there, Richard. Um, I'm not <laughs> time for a break for you, I think. Um, <laughs> I was Thank wondering you. if we. <laughs> If Matt and I had any questions, but I, I'm somewhat feeling that's a bit unfair after that, and I'm not sure I do have any actually. <laughs> you know, it's, as it says, it's a lot of history in what basically about it's just under a century, isn't it? So it's um, I, to me, it's my favourite period just because of the range of different um, states and armies mm -hmm. that Rome fought at the time. Um, and the fact you get this sort of unique political situation yeah. ongoing. Um, so, yeah, um, it, it, it's certainly one of my favourite eras. It is indeed. You, you yeah. have to figure that the Senate must have lived in dread of seeing a Roman messenger galloping up the, uh, up the road towards the Senate House, wondering what's gone wrong now. You know, who's invaded what? Who's got lost? Who's got killed? I don't know. I, I I always think of them as like a bunch of mafia <laughs> heads. Um, that and I mean the system of patronage is very much the similar sort of thing. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I I don't think that there's much difference from the Godfather personally <laughs> in terms of my view of the. Um, major Roman politicians at the time. It was pretty corrupt. <laughs> I think it's fair to say by any modern standards. It, um, <laughs> yes, but in, in a very structured fashion. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, you basically, if you took a bribe, you were expected to vote for the person you took yeah. the bribe from. But that wasn't considered immoral in any way. <laughs> what was immoral was if you took the bribe and then didn't vote for them. <laughs> right, okay. So they were just paying for a service. Indeed. Yeah. Great. Okay, as I said, we'll, we'll, we'll let you have a bit of a break now we'll, and, and uh, move on to some of these armies, you know, this vast range of armies. Um, I'm going to start with an actual Roman army. <laughs> it only seems fair if we're looking at the Roman Republic. Um, and I, I've I've drawn up a Roman army from the late Republican Roman list in the Italy PDF. Um, I think it would be probably fair to summarise the the list in the PDF as legionaries plus other people. You know, I think the very clear that the army is is based around the legions, which is what you would expect. Um, and, and the, the the other stuff are very much supporting actors, um, but does include a, a, a hat full of potential allies, um, and in certainly in meg competitions, uh, when people use the late Republican Roman army, in my experience, 
having an ally always seems to be almost compulsory and the Numidian ally is, is incredibly popular um, and seems to create quite an effective army. But just to be different, I, I've decided to draw up an army um, that didn't include an external ally and didn't certainly didn't have the Numidian ally. Um, and I've also tried to see what I could come up with um, based on average legionaries. Because again, the, 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 the one people normally take has a, a good chunk of superior legionaries, possibly even with the exceptional 10th legion that um, Caesar can have. And I can see why people want them, because they're absolutely vicious, <laughs> you know, especially the exceptional. They, 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 exceptional legionaries fear nobody, really. Um, so I've, I've gone for one sort of a, a, a second grade one. Yes, one of the, the the lesser commanders, possibly one of those that gets a bit beaten up by um, Mithridates before Sulla comes in and goes, OK, this is how you do it. So what I have gone for is just three generals, uh, a competent professional army commander, a talented professional subgeneral and a talented professional internal ally. The, the list allows you one internal ally. Uh, a bit of a point saver, um, to be honest, but it's talented, so should stick around. I have quite miraculously remembered Romans have a compulsory fortified camp. Um, just a note to people out there, it's not uncommon for people to forget the compulsory fortified camp. Um, you have to spend the points on that, but it can be very, very useful. The list has ended up with PBS of seven, scouting of three um, and breaks on the loss of five tugs. So what I've gone for is a six base unit of heavy cavalry, formed loose, average protected, unskilled javelin, short spear and melee expert. Um, I've then gone for six units of legionaries. Three of them are eight bases, two of them are six bases and one of them are four bases. Um, one of the four bases one is poor um, they all have shield cover and melee experts. The shield cover obviously is compulsory. The melee expert is optional. And part of that, all the eights and the sixes are, are average protected, impact weapon, shield cover, melee expert. Um, I've gone for two units of Gallic foot, which I think essentially means this army is based in Italy. Um, dragged some Gauls in. Two nine base units of form flexible, average protected, devastating charges. They're there really to a bit of stodge, really, and also just occupy something, occupy space while hopefully your legionaries can do stuff. And I've gone for four SUGs, um, one of six bases of Numidian cavalry, skirmishing cavalry, average unprotected skilled javelin, combat shy. A, similarly, six bases of Cretan archers, infantry skirmishers, average unprotected skilled bow, combat shy. A unit of Velites. Um, we saw some remnant velites around earlier in the period of this list. Um, skirmishing infantry, average protected, experienced javelin, short spear, shoot and charge. And then just to round it off, a unit of slingers, average unprotected, experienced sling, combat shy. Um, in terms of the structure, I've got a set, I've got the ally, internal allied general. And in this list, I've given him one of the eight base units of legionaries, the two six bases and the four poor legionaries as well. The four poor, to be honest, are a bit of filler, as you would imagine. 
Um, but, you know, they, they might be able to do something. They're still impact weapons, still melee experts, and a four inserted in the right place could do something. So, the yeah, the thinking behind the army is, um, obviously, as I said earlier, the legionaries will be doing most of the fighting. The three eight base units especially are going to be the ones you're are going to do a lot of heavy lifting. I'd be looking for the, the two skilled units of skirmishers to do some sniping around, weaken the opponent. Um, the heavy cavalry is there also support, um, bigger six base unit with melee expert. Um, they've also got a, a reasonable combat capability, especially if they charge something that's been um, weakened in other ways. Again, these skirmishers could be assisting those. I said the, the Gallic foot I would expect to be occupying space to some degree, acting a, almost, you know, that mobile terrain feature, just getting in the way while you work the legionaries into position. Um, again, I would hope it's obvious because all the legionaries are drilled flexible and we've got those two units of Gauls which form flexible terrain. Isn't an issue one way or the other with this army, although it isn't that big and it possibly will always want to try and narrow the table some way, shape or form, you know, deep water, secure flank, maybe even looking for some impassable terrain. Um, it's got 11 command cards, which um, I'm, I'm sort of playing around with 11 at the moment. I've, I've tended to default to at least 12, but I'm, I'm, I had some use of 11 before. And as a lot of the troops you're going to be doing work with in this army are drilled, you can get away with using lower colour cards to actually make meaningful moves. So anyway, that, that's that's what I came up with for a bit, a bit different from the ones you see in competition. Whether it would be as effective, I don't know. Um, I'll see what Matt and Richard think about this offering. Interesting. I like it. Um, you I like think, it? Yeah, no, I don't. Oh, oh it, good it, God, it's scoring well on... It's on the insanity scale, scale yeah. Um, and that's got something for it in the in, in the thirty. Well, you've basically got thirty six legionaries in sixes or eights, and then the four, which is filler or a reserve. And your impact weapon. So you know, there's not much that you can't handle in the charge. So you know, all right, you're not superior. You're not going to win quickly, but you'll grind. And they can fight in one rank. So. Yeah, I don't dislike it at all. As you say, terrain could actually be a massive friend to this army. It can be. And as you say, that that, that was one reason I went for the, the eights of legionaries, for yeah, the three eights, for that grind bit. And also, actually, to, <laughs> might be an odd one for some people, keep the tug number manageable, because I've only got 11 cards. Yeah. Oh, oh, I, I, I think it's perfectly viable. Richard? Um, yeah, um, <laughs> that's not um, such a vote of confidence. <laughs> I'm not so sure. Um, I think, to be honest, it would be one I would try out before I'd have any sort of confidence in how well it might do. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it, it's interesting going with the Gallic foot because I'm not sure I've seen. Um, anyone try that combination of the de devastating charges with the impact weapon legionaries I'm, I'm i'm i've got a feeling i'd probably go for something else rather than the gallic foot um 
but I have to look at the list to figure out what it might be. Yeah, um, the, the, there's some Thracians who are also Dev Charger, but they can be melee expert. And after that, you own some Spanish Skatari who are impact weapon. Yeah, um, I'm, I think I probably prefer the Spanish just because they're yeah. uh, easier to control. But um, yeah, I mean, um, and to be honest, the Spanish are actually cheaper. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. I can see that argument. You, you can only have nine of those. You could have one unit of those. Yeah. yeah um, I mean, I went for the two Galax because you can have two of them and it was sort of an easy choice to just copy and paste one line. <laughs> yeah, I, I, might, I might go for a Spanish and another legionary unit, I think. Yeah, yeah. That would be probably why I'd try. But yeah, uh, but, um, yeah I mean, against most things, it's going to pick put up a pretty good fight over the thought. Yeah. When, when I was knocking up this list and thinking about it, it one thing it did cross my mind is because as, as I said, as you know, as, as I've introduced this list, uh, it's fairly common when people use late Republican Romans to have an ally and a good chunk of superior legions. And I'm just just wondering whether, yeah, what did do, do you think it sort of almost needs an ally to bring something a bit different? Um, I don't think it has to have an ally. I think um, uh, in many ways, yeah, I know I know the superior legion ally combination is very popular. I'm, I'm not actually a huge fan of it. I think it's, uh, it's, um, it puts a lot of emphasis on using the superior legionaries. And often the allies don't actually complement the legionaries that well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, um, yeah, I'll, I, I, I think there's quite a lot of merit in, in it. It looks a bit plain if you just go for legionaries, but actually, there's nothing much wrong with them. Well, yeah, you know, a, a, the the legionaries are, are what they're not exactly. They're not stupidly expensive, you know. We're talking about the average shield cover melee expert ones are 108 points a base. And I think the allies do tend to force your terrain choices a bit more. Whereas this army is pretty much agnostic. You could fight on an yeah. open table with it, or you could fight in a complete forest. Yes, it, it would make no difference to you. Whereas if you're an ally like a Numidian, you're kind of trying to force a plane on part of the table so you can actually use them. And if it is only on part of the table, it's bl- it's blindingly obvious yep. where they're going to be. <laughs> so yeah, I, it is. Yeah, I suppose uh, I, I did wonder about an Armenian ally, just for that punch with uh, you know the dates we're talking about. That would be cataphracts. You can't trust them. Historically <laughs> proven. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with the history. Yeah. It's, it's, uh... Um, I hadn't realised you could get an Armenian ally at that date. That's uh, interesting. It, Armenian allies in Asia, 53 to 36 BCE. Yeah, well, this Which, one's 85, you see. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, it's You'd a bit different date. the date. Yeah, and I think, but I think all it would mean would I'd lose the Velites. Yeah. In, in terms of what's available. I presume the Armenians are after Tigranes has been... Has been uh, somewhat beaten up and humiliated by Lucullus. Indeed. 
Yes. So, yeah, so just on the allies, I did have one point, and Richard might want to just comment about. I did look at possibly the Jewish ally, and then spotted that the Jewish list has three compulsory skirmish units in it, <laughs> which sort of put me off. Uh, right. Um, but I know so little about the Jewish army at that time as to whether that would be reasonable or not. Um, it's sort of pre-Herod. So. Three compulsory sounds perhaps as if that's one more than perhaps there should be. Yeah, um, I, th I think I think they're the only compulsories in the Jewish list, actually. <laughs> so it probably makes sense. Possibly makes sense in terms of the army, but I don't know. Anyway, I'll take it strike me as unusual. <laughs> so, so slightly to my surprise, you seem to think this army is 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 a, is viable. But I think I think Richard's got a good point. You know, try it out. And I think I, I think I do take the point on the Gallic foot. You know, having something that might need holding might might sort of throw the army out a bit. You'll get that move because you've only got 11 cards where you go, ah, I need to do something or hold the Gauls. <laughs> and I actually want to do both. <laughs> yeah, been there, got that T-shirt. Yeah. So I could certainly see a good argument for uh, taking the taking the potential force charges at three base widths out of the equation. So it'll probably allow you to use the cards to actually do things with your legionaries every single move. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, well, I think that, that one got, got through that one reasonably quickly. That's a, the Romans out of the way. And if we move on to, I suggest, Matt. Who right. Has. I, I'm so tempted at this point, but it will give away the army to say, okay, carry on, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> infamy, infamy, yes. <clears throat> yeah, I, I've gone with late Ptolemaic um, Cleo, shall we say, um, as, the, as the choice. Asterix and Obelix from my uh, childhood is rearing its head. So um, that's what I went with. Um, I think it was Caesar that described it as a list of uh, 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 an army of brigands and bandits. And it's mostly involved in customs duties and things like that, I think. So, um, um, having said that, I actually, when I looked at the list, wasn't too upset by it, if you see what I mean. It didn't come across as a bad, um, well, we'll have a look anyway. Let's, let's see what I've done. I, I, I won't go through the list itself. Um, but I will, I'll just go through the, the list I've picked. Um, I went with a talented professional general. I'm not sure it would be Cleo in command at that point, but, um, Whoever she picks, he's talented. Um, two competent professionals and a mediocre professional, which gives me 12 cards. I went with the talented professional because I wanted some chance of controlling the terrain, but also I wanted the eight PBS cards. Not so much for controlling the terrain, but it gave me eight cards in which I could pick possibly two that I want to hold for scouting because the scouting for the force is only three. So, you know, if... what. Average one in eight, you'll get a red card in that group. So that's you know forty percent to one side immediately, and whatever else comes out. So that was kind of the thinking for that one, because on the whole, I tend to go with competent army commanders because you know it's a lot of points for talented. But in this case, I went with the talented. So it's it's a big jump, competent professional to talented professional. Yes, yeah, yes, very much so. It's um, it's almost five hundred points, I think, isn't it? Um, Something like that. 
yeah, 700 to um, 1150. Yeah, 450. Yeah. Um, but as I say, I think it's worth it for this one. So, um, uh, one and two in my list, uh, the, 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 the troops I think are going to do the most damage, and they're um, uh, Mark, Mark Antony's um, remnant legionaries. So, you've got uh, two blocks of eight infantry, drilled flexible, average protected impact weapon shield, cover melee expert. Um, uh, you've then got the uh, Zeisterfori, is it? Uh, guard cavalry, which are drilled loose, superior protected, charging lance, and melee expert. Only a block of four because uh, they're expensive and it wasn't the focus of the army. Uh, then you've got the guard foot, who are infantry drilled close, average protected, long spear, shield cover, shove, block of eight. Uh, Thracians, which are infantry formed loose, average protected, devastating charge, and melee expert. Again, a block of eight. Two blocks of mercenaries, um, and it's par excellence, I assume. Uh, infantry formed close, average protected, long spear shove, two blocks of eight. Then you've got the mercenary cavalry, uh, your better class of brigand, I guess. Um, <laughs> cavalry formed loose, average protected, unskilled javelin, short spear, block of four. Um, and then I'm guessing ex-slaves and other levies are the ones that got caught at banditry and have been suppressed into the army but uh, gang ganged in um press gang sorry into the army so they're infantry tribal close poor unprotected short spear block of eight at uh, 25 points each they're a bargain um and then 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 you get onto the sugs or so 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 it's a tug of nine and then you've got uh five sugs which are three blocks of six archers which are the standard skirmisher average unprotected experience bow combat shy uh, block of poor slingers, so unprotected experience, sling, combat shy, block of six of those. And then you've got uh, nine javelinmen, which are also poor, unprotected, unskilled javelins, combat shy, so really useless. Um, <laughs> the list does actually contain two lots of light horse that can have that Spanish whirly thing where they throw javelins really well. I'm not even going to say it, but they're not in the army because I didn't want to say it because I still can't get it right. <laughs> so, you, 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 had, you had your moment one episode last series, didn't you? That's right, that's right. So no army I I, I, I talk about in this podcast is ever going to have that as, as an option. It's just not happening anymore. <laughs> we, we could allow you to say Spanish shooty thing. Ah, yes, yes, we'll go with that. <laughs> anyway, so so that, that that's that's five sucks. So that gives you a total of 14 Uggs for deployment. Um, PBS of eight, as I said, and scouting of three. It is what it is. Um, I kind of saw it working with a reasonable amount of terrain on the table. You use the long spears to hold the open ground and you push the legionaries and the Thracians through the rough going and head for a flank. Two blocks of cavalry are there for support and possibly delaying a flank with the mercenary cavalry. Um, I, I'm quite taken with um, Mr. Stovall's idea of mixing archers in with your infantry blocks. So two two wide archers between your infantry your heavy infantry so you've got a lot of shooty support so that is why there is a large block of archers as the skirmishing sucks so um give that a will if the train doesn't fall well well you pretty much the entire army can fight in the open without any problem so um i don't think it's exciting but in period i think it'd be quite a nice list to run it probably doesn't want to fight a full, full-blooded Roman Legion army, but um, about most other things, maybe. Oh, and the yeah. other thing I avoided was the um, 
you are allowed some pike with the list, but I, I felt they just narrowed the frontage too much for very little gain because the long spears are as good against cavalry as the pike are, really, for what they do. So that was the, the, the thinking behind that one. There you go. Yeah, I mean, um, it's uh, it's one of those bits and pieces lists, isn't it? Which It very much reminds me of a Syracusan Greek army, which I also happen to have, but... <laughs> very, very, very similar, yeah, yeah. Odds and sods. It's got it's got long spear. You've got impact allies and um, you know that kind of thing. So it's not going to it's not going to be massively wide, is it? And just be, I'd be personally a bit worried about its flanks. Well, I, I was thinking if you deployed all, all, all your heavy infantry blocks are eight, but if you deployed yeah. three wide with two lots of archers in the gaps. Mm-hmm. You're getting fairly wide, but as you say, you need coastal and possibly some trade. The other twig with this might be that um, because it can have coastal, you have the Nile, obviously, and then I'm thinking you model the camp as Cleopatra's pleasure barge <laughs> next to the next, <laughs> distract the enemy with that, perhaps. <laughs> it's one of these armies designed around something that doesn't actually take place in the battle. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I think you get a lovely barge figure with Cleo reclining on it. I, I, I was tempted. Um, uh, if you're familiar with the Asterix, Asterix books, um, she is. She actually, when she goes out amongst the people, so to speak, she's actually on a mini sphinx being carried by slaves. And I'm thinking, as a general figure, that would be superb. Marched <laughs> <laughs> in behind the troops. Yeah. 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 I think it's. I'm, I, I, I was kind of feeling that this might be one of those lists that promises more than it delivers. I think that's probably fair. There's nothing truly exciting. There's nothing that gives you a really rapid punch. Yeah, it's. Um, um, yeah, it's got. I would say it's possibly got a bit less punch than that Roman I just did. Yeah. But yeah, and, and it, you, you've gone for one of those things I personally don't like. You've got yeah, you know, you've got four of the Zystoferos. I was waiting for the comment there. I'm just surprised that I'm surprised. Perhaps it's due to the break we had that Matt didn't say and over to Nick to make his usual comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I can see why you did it with this one. Yeah, uh, it's what would you drop to get? You need another 400 points to make it a six. Yeah, I mean, if if I wasn't fussed about the commands, I could drop down to a competent army commander, and that would get it for me. Uh, so it might be another one where I'd have to play test it and, yes. and see how it, how comfortable I felt with the drop in the command cards and the um, yeah. I, I think I I think you probably need the extra command. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, unless you can somehow drop the Zistofero to a six of average charging lance or an expert perhaps, but um, um, if you drop them to average, it should come out about the same, shouldn't it? Sometimes it's about 50% more. Yeah, it, 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 it's 26 points over the 10,000, so I could probably drop three of the javelin. Yeah. Well, you, you, in, my, in my opinion, would be no loss. I'm not I'm not a fan of having four unprotected, unskilled javelin combat shy. Um, uh, the, what, the, what on earth are you ever going to use them for? Uh, they were to screen the mercenaries because they've not got shield cover. Oh, okay. That was literally they were yeah, going to go I'll, one I'll point out in 2023 they won't have shove either. Um, that's all part of the theory offer change. But you will have the option of having them as loose short spear experienced javelin instead. 
I, I think that's an underrated troop type. Mm. Experienced javelin short spear. Same. It is, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if you've got the four of the Bathazai stuff, you've got four, but as long as you control where they go, inserting them in the right place can be devastating, of course. No, no, I like I like taking them down to average for the moment, uh, and the block of six that 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 would probably work because it's still a reserve even if I had them as um. Oh, you, you yeah, you wouldn't be leading with them, would you? Yeah, so you're pushing uh, your infantry, your legion, the Antonine legionaries, and the guard foot and the mercenaries are going to be. Yeah, they're they're, they're the ones to stick into something that's already been weakened by something else, yeah. or as you say, get around a flank, or yeah, and and it's also a fairly as you say, if, if I need to protect a flank, sticking six of those on the side, it's probably going to get me a, a fair few turns of delaying because pretty dangerous for whatever's coming around the sides. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, perhaps that's the question Richard asked, asked of me. Um, you got the Thracians. You got one unit of dev charging foot in there. Uh, cool. That said, they can pair up with the legionaries because they are at least melee expert, aren't they? Unlike my Gauls, which weren't. Uh, they, 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 I brought in because I thought if I needed the legionaries to be in open terrain, I still wanted something that I could plonk in a piece of terrain to control it. So that that was what they were there for. Um, other than that, I don't yeah, think there's anything in the list that I'd rather use in terrain than those. So. But yes, it might require me a card. Although if they go nuts in terrain, I'm not that bothered, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Unless they're fighting legionaries, and then mm, <laughs> I'm probably onto a hiding for nothing anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that could be worth spending a card, at least forcing the legionaries to maybe pay a card. Or <laughs> yes, true. <laughs> yes. Or if they're within one base, but it doesn't matter anyway, does it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's if the leaders are going to charge you for free, it doesn't matter if you charge them for free. So, yeah, no, I've got some liking for that army. And and as is traditional, we've, we've updated it on the fly as we were going along. <laughs> See, we, we remember some things for how we do this. <laughs> Nick says a, a fighting unit of cavalry has to be a six. <laughs> Matt changes his army somewhere on the fly, <laughs> and, and 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 now I think we move to the other one where where Richard is going to show us a proper army, how how it should be done. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, so un unlike uh, you guys, this is an army I've actually used in competition earlier this year. Um, so this is the Spanish Sartorian. I've always had a soft spot for Sartorius, um, so. It's um, a uh, four command army, uh, talented professional. Sartorius has to be talented uh, with two subordinate commanders who are mediocre um, and then a competent professional ally in Paperna. And it's Paperna gives you the extra Roman legionaries. So you've got in the ally three uh, lots of six drilled flexible average protected impact weapon weapon shield cover melee expert legionaries um, to complement that I've got a uh, tug of six exiled Romans who are the superior impact weapon shield cover melee expert legionaries um, I have three lots of eight Kytrati who are tribal loose average protected experienced javelin 
melee expert. These are the Lusitanians. Um, to go with that, I've, I've got two units of mercenary Celtiberians. They are average protected devastating charges, tribal flexible. Uh, I've got a unit of nobles, six um, tribal loose superior protected experience javelin med expert. Uh, and to finish off the tugs, I've got a unit of four uh, form loose, poor protected, unskilled javelin short spear, <laughs> whose role is to skulk behind or if they get really lucky, have an opportunity to charge somebody in the flank. Uh, and hope it works because you probably aren't going to get much <laughs> of a chance after that. Uh, if they're faced with anything decent, they just skirmish away and keep you in the game for a little longer. That's the theory. Um, along with that, uh, I have two units of six Kytrati skirmishers. Uh, average protect one's experienced javelin short spear. The other one was unskilled javelin short spear shoot and charge. Um, don't really know why I went that way, but it fitted with the points. Um, so one of them's better at charging in, the other one is better at shooting, really. Um, along with that, a unit of best light horse, so uh, average protected skilled, sorry, average unprotected skilled javelins, cavalry skirmishers, um, and a unit of slingers, average unprotected experience sling combat shy. Um, and I did reasonably well with with this army. Um, was this the actual version you used? This is the version I used in competition. Um, it's um, yeah, it proved vulnerable to cataphracts, not surprisingly. Um, but you, my tactic there was to occupy the cataphracts with two or three units and basically beats up my opponent's legionaries with the rest. Um, it's got quite a decent amount of melee expert um, to keep plugging away. Um, and you've got professional commanders with which to control everything. Eight PBS cards, three scouting um, and 11 cards. So yeah, a, a good solid working army. And I think it would probably take on either of your two armies and give them a run for their money, I suspect. I'd agree with that. I'm sort of looking at thinking, is this a better Roman army than my Roman army? <laughs> Oddly, I was just looking, <laughs> thinking about it in the same light. Yeah, um, I, I, I really like that list. I, I, I do. I like that. It's, uh, it, I think this, this is an army. It's, yeah, it's obvious somebody's, somebody's used it and thought about the list. <laughs> I think more than I thought about the Roman list, um, which I think, like, as Matt said, with his his, to, his Ptolemaic is a uh, be interesting to see how you tweak it after you've used it. <laughs> but this one looks pretty well honed to me. I I do like these Ketrati, the the um, the the tug version of it. But I, I, I I've, I've seen people uh, I think you'll have seen it as well, Richard, where people say, you know. Basically, why don't they have a, a melee weapon in there for the charge phase? The, this makes them worse than the other Iberian types. And I think that's a load of rubbish. I think they're better because they've got the melee expert. Well, the, I, I, the, exper I, the experienced javelin counts as your um, sort of 
charge weapon. You've mm. just got to use it effectively in shooting. Um, and then you've got the melee expert from then on. So, yeah, I'll, t I'll take it up against the impact weapon without melee expert or even the uh, dev charger with nothing else. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, the, the vulnerabilities, they are loose. Um, so in the open, they can get bullied a bit with the shoves and they're definitely somewhat vulnerable to cavalry. Mm. Um, but that's that's where you've got your Romans. Um, and why I chose to take the mercenary Celtiberians as well, just to yeah. give a bit of extra um, opportunity in the open. Um, if you if you need be, you've got six six tugs there that can be close formation infantry. Indeed, and and the superior nobles, the loose superior expert javelin melee expert, are are not easy pushovers. No. Um, so combine that with a unit of skilled shooters in support from the best light horse and got reasonable open terrain army yeah. with, with a powerful terrain element as well. I think it could it could fool some people on that basis. They think, oh, especially if you look at the army and go, oh, it's got loads of, it's only got loose troops. And, and then you yeah, can, I mean the, the oh, thing I like about I can it actually is, work. <laughs> the thing I like about it is it gives a good flavour, I think, of what the Satorian army probably was. So uh, um, yeah, I, 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 it's one of my sort of favourites. Yeah. So it's uh, no, I, 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 I like that. I, I like that. Actually, did I play that one? Is it the one you used at Beachhead? Uh, I think I used the Germans at Beachhead, didn't I? Oh, I think you, yeah, yes, you yes. yeah, yes, you did because you did. You certainly didn't have. Yeah. I've, I've used Germans. I've used um, Gallic with Spanish allies. Oh, I think it might have been the Gallic that. Spanish allies. Thinking about yeah, it. that's the other one I've used. As yeah. and then I used this back in April time. I think it was right. Yeah. Um, there's so many meg competitions this year; they start to merge. There have been a lot. <laughs> if you if you like your competitions, have a bit taste. Um Sorry, Matt. We, we, I've been rabbiting away as usual. No, no, no it's um, it's a nice obscure part of Roman history. In fact, it it it, it had me at the age of fourteen going into a library pre-internet. You know, when coal-fired cars still existed, um, <laughs> um because. I, I don't know if you know, uh, Harry Turtledove wrote a series called The Lost Legions, which is, it, it's a fantasy book. Yeah. But in that book, uh, he, the Saturnus' re uh, revolt gets mentioned. And um, it was one of those things that I thought, it was a brief one-liner, but it was one of those things you think, never heard of it. So yeah. you know, actually, uh, you know, traipsed down to the library and got a history book out and actually went and did some reading. And um, so I've always been fascinated by it. And um it's an army that now I've seen Richard's list. I'm there going, yeah, I quite like that. <laughs> yeah. So. Is is 11 cards enough? It It's just enough. My experience was um, it, it's borderline. Mm. But it's what you sacrifice if you try and make it up to 12. They are all professionals. So you've, 
the way I tended to use it was to um, uh, use the talented professional um, for the centre and and be able to gift to the mediocres if they needed an extra card to do things. But it was right on the limit. Yeah, so so not floating. But generally able, able to no gift probably one if you float is you lose the ability to move four as a group yeah yeah that that, that does make sense yeah as I, as I said with mine I've, I've been sort of looking at 11 cards armies recently and i think if you i think if you structure it well and and <laughs> And have used it a few, a couple of times just to get your head around it. It can work very well. I think my my all mounted hand Chinese used to have. This I've got eleven cards as well. I've, I've done fairly well with that. Yeah, you you really have to keep things as blocks. Um, if you start ending up with individual units moving separately, you do struggle to have enough cards to do what you want. Yeah. So you could go down to 10. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> I've only seen one army use successfully with 10. <laughs> I have to say. So it's uh, yeah, it's uh, no, I'm not, I think that, that, that one that one's getting the thumbs up. Should we should we move on to my my the last one, which is my second um, contribution? Which is it's it's for an army I've got a bit of a soft spot for, but have never actually built. I think I think I once used it by cobbling troops together way back in DBM. That's Pontic. Um, so this this I think you know the comment I made about Matt's Ptolemaic being a bit bits and pieces. I think the Pontic <laughs> is one of your all time bits and pieces armies. Um, <laughs> Mr. Darty's cobbled it together for whatever he could find, you know. Although, as Richard said, his history, but there's sort of a, a, a sort of Hellenistic core in there. So I've sort of gone with that vibe for this one. Um, I've, I've gone for a competent professional army commander, um, two competent professional sub generals, and I've gone for an Armenian ally. <laughs> Funnily enough, I'd mentioned in context of Roman earlier. Um, with a competent, instinctive ally there. So, as Richard mentioned, Mithridates, possibly unusually for a sort of totalitarian ruler, recognised he couldn't, he wasn't up to leading his armies and and hired competent generals. So this is a very competent army. Seemed to go with the theme anyway. So the it's ended up with eight PBS and four scouting. Um, which I think is that the highest scouting out of all these armies? Yeah, I believe so. It is four, so that's, that's quite healthy. Um, I've gone for a flexible camp, um, which is one of my my new my new things. Flexible camp. Um, if you defend, it counts as fortified. If you invade, it counts as mobile, and isn't that much more expensive than an unfortified? It's, it's a bit more expensive than just a mobile, but, you know, I, I quite like it. I, I like the idea of if you're defending, you can have a, you sort of get a really cheap fortified camp. So I'm, I'm keeping an eye open for that. Anyway, 
The, the Armenian ally part of this just contains three units, two units of cataphracts. Um, they're tribal close. One is average, one is superior. Armoured horse, fully armoured. Long spear, devastating charger, shove. Six bases in each. And a unit of Armenian horse archers, because they're compulsory in the list. Skirmishing cavalry, poor, unprotected, experienced bow, combat shy, four bases. Um, that really is, they're compulsory. I couldn't really get it up to six. For make it poor, they'll just sit at the back and the competent ally general will just drive the two cataphract units um, as their tribal. It'll quite possibly need, you know, be looking for a decent card in there if they want to do complex things, you know, like wheel. <laughs> so <laughs> it's the... <laughs> I, I can certainly see if I, I was using this, I'd be going, oh, well, why aren't they formed? Why are they tribal? And I drew some ro rotten cards for a move when I want to wheel. But, you know, pays your money, take your chance. The rest of the army is seven more tugs and four more sugs. The tugs are a Pontic cavalry, formed loose, average, protected, unskilled javelin, short spear, four bases. Essentially, they'll act as heavy skirmishers. Um, unit of Sarmatian cavalry, formed loose, superior protected charging lancers, six bases. Scythian cavalry, six bases of form flexible, average unprotected experience bow. Um, I've gone for two pike units, just because they, they feature in some of the earlier battles. I, I sort of felt obliged to take them. I've just gone for the phalanx recruited from ex-slaves, formed close, average protected pike combat shy. Um, Unit of Thracians, formed loose, average protected, dev charger, melee expert, eight bases. And there's not nine bases compulsory of Hillman, so I've taken those all in one unit. Tribal loose, average protected, unskilled javelin, short spear. Um, I did consider downgrading them to poor, but thought, no, it's not that big an army. They might actually have to do something, keep them average. The Sugs are two six bases units of... Average unprotected, experienced javelin, Con Cantabrian, M Matthew, combat Spanish shy. shooty things. Oh, yeah, Spanish <laughs> shooty things. And two units of six bases of archers, poor unprotected, experienced bow, combat shy. Um, they're not actually downgrades, they're poor in the list. So I say it's bit, bits and pieces, but um, this is designed basically that the Armenians and the Sarmatian cavalry provide the main punch in the army, or possibly the only punch in the army. The slave phalanx sit, hold ground, because the combat shy might attract something that thinks they're a bit softer than they are. It sort of makes them long spear, really, but can't go as wide. Um, the Thracians, a credible um, rough going unit, and, and another fighting unit if they're not fighting something that's too devastating to them on impact and uh, work the um, the skirmishes obviously to support that the cavalry attack um yeah much though i like this army the pontics is a romantic thing it's bits and pieces and definitely an army you go uh, uh, mm, how do i get something good out of it but there was a stab at it yeah it's it's probably a Historically accurate, but I'm not sure yes. <laughs> list I want to try and use. Um, it'd be it'd be quite good in a campaign if you're facing some fairly feeble Roman forces. Um, 
but but in a sort of themed or open competition the problem is it's got different elements that aren't working together terribly yeah. well um the pipe can sit somewhere and will take a while to kill you've got two units of terrain troops the thracians and the hillman and you've got a cavalry punch but how do you get the how do you get all the bits to work cohesively as a one is where i think it struggles i i, I quite agree with that i think it's uh, i have tried pontic in the very early days of meg and i didn't do particularly well with it yeah no, i noticed I you didn't go for the expendables no i've just used expendables last weekend and um whilst slightly amusing uh their actual effect <laughs> you have to be blooming lucky basically because you, you you yeah they can slow people down for an extra turn but they as you say uh you've got to be extremely lucky for them to actually do any damage yeah because because it, expendables because of the way they're rated and it, it's not a problem it will almost certainly only be on white dice and I guess anything really good they'll go on a black dice you're looking for the s to get the yeah, skull you, from the expense I mean a white dice with s converting to a skull is a bit like a green yes um and a yeah a black dice is a with an s is a sort of better white um but uh, yeah if you if you get a lot of s's in a row great otherwise it's going to struggle a bit yeah and if you, if you get the s first up at least they they do get the the shatter for the dev charge a bit but yeah they there was I, I did wonder about putting them in just because they're almost one of those iconic parts of pontic armies in war games armies going back to when i started wargaming <laughs> but uh, no i think I'd, <laughs> I'd prefer to have some real troops <laughs> yeah yeah um yes it's, it's a good attempt but i i as i say not not a, a competition um winner i fear uh, sort of army you take to see how well you could do with it in a competition i think <laughs> it's always a can i reach mid-table mediocrity <laughs> well, ne ne next time simon wants an army to form a struggle don't suggest <laughs> early hebrew suggest ponty <laughs> yes, yeah so matt <laughs> As a creative affair, another bits and pieces army. Yeah, <laughs> even on my scale, I can't. I can't find. Um, I I just think I'd spend if I was using it. I'd spend my entire time trying to protect the infantry from I don't know a man with a small fruit knife. It, it just it just scares me that how. I mean, you say the pike are okay as a combat shape, but are they? I mean. You just wouldn't want to put them where anywhere where anything decent could get to them. Leaving aside something like legionaries, they can they can fight long spear types. Yeah, true. But I, I, I'm actually thinking more of um, I'd go stick um, Mamluk cavalry in front of them and just stand there and shoot you to death. Because oh, you, you, well, I don't know. You'd do that with any pike, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, but but what I mean is you can't drive me away because as soon as you start moving, the impact phase is going to be nasty for you. And even in the melee phase, actually, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll... a lot of shooty cavalry doesn't have any claims. Do I get a get plus for moving foot? 
but you still get all your pike factors and you, you probably you could be, be green green yeah, yeah uh, Matt, that 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 makes the assumption that you can sit in front of the absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yes, yeah, I'm talking in isolation, which, which, is, which, which is which is which is not fair, which because yeah. um, equally, you know, you've got those two units of archers. You know, you always talk about the 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 trademark Paul Stavell thing about interspersing True. archers. Yeah, yeah, put those oh. put those in with those pikes if you think the enemy is going to rush shooting cavalry and sit in front of you. No, and 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 the, purely from my own point of view, those Armenian cataphracts, I just know I'm going to get black and white cards for the entire game. <laughs> you know, yeah, the, the ally will be completely reliable. It'll give me a single green in the first turn, and after that, they're, they're going straight ahead. <laughs> that, that, that'll be the only green they see all game. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I can upgrade a black to a white and move straight in a straight line, and that'd be all I'd be doing with them. Keep, keep going straight forward till somebody charges you in the flank. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Although to be fair, being cataphract superiors, you know, uh, yeah, depending what it is, yeah. I yeah mean, I've, I've seen them turn around and absolutely butcher whoever hit them in the flank. Well, again, oddly, it's something I did at campaign. I charged some superior cataphracts in the flank with some reasonably competent infantry, and and I think I got one wound on four dice. <laughs> you know, so a couple of reds and a couple of whites or something. I got one wound out of that. They then turn around. Ah. So yeah, and it wasn't going so well after that. But yeah, perhaps, perhaps this is this is an army we can we can throw open a bit like the, the when we talked about the black army, yeah, Aryan uh, black army. Throw open to the to the wider the wider Meg world and say, well, here's here's our challenge from this um, podcast. Design uh, Simon Hall's next competition, competition army, which is going to be Pontic, um, <laughs> uh, or just just come up with something that you think is viable because yeah. It was when you sit down in front of them and go, all oh, right, and I can, oh, yeah, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I mean, to be fair, it would look extremely pretty, I have to say, given that all the various nationalities in it, it's going to look pretty good. Yeah, and there, there is one, uh, Richard, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the um, the historical accounts, um, obviously it's, 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 the, it's one of these denigrating effeminate eastern armies quotes describe some of these troops you like like their equipment jewel encrusted and gold and but but they can't fight yes i can't remember the, the exact quote yeah so you something the, along those lines yeah there's there's a, there's a license there to go to town with making it look really really pretty and then it meets a proper roman army and dies really really quickly well, it meets the rule of the war gamer, isn't it? The prettier the army looks, the less effective it is on the table. <laughs> Doesn't matter how good the troops are, it's still not going to work. It is, yeah. It's yeah. The, the, uh, at the moment, I'd file this in the sort of romantic but naff category. Yeah, it's yeah, that's uh, fair. But, but not maybe not totally uh, romantic, but a bit naff. Yeah. Um, can 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 bully its weaker neighbours, but when the big boys turn up, it's got trouble. So pretty historical, actually. Yeah, no, as Richard said right at the beginning, that's that's more or less what happened. <laughs> you, know, the, you know, Richard said, you know, conquered great chunks of Asia Minor, Greece from the Romans. As I say, conquered Greece from the Romans. I'm not sure how many troops they would have had there. But then Sulla turns up and Mithridates goes, ah, I'm going back home now. <laughs> so I think that's what this army would do. Okay, on that note, though, there you are, folks. There's four different armies from this period, all with a 
different take on it. Um, some of them, what? Well, one of them we think is really quite nice. I think we all agreed Richards was a nice, competent, a nice, competent army, a good army even. Yeah. Um, a couple of bits and pieces armies in uh, yeah, the Pontic one, romantic but naff. Mats, who knows? <laughs> and a a poss could possibly be okay. Probably need some work on it. Roman, I think would be the perhaps sum it up. That seems fair. Good summary. <laughs> I'm getting good at summaries. It's something to do with work. <laughs> so, okay, so moving along. So that's 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 our sort of history and and army list. So, yeah, obviously, if people have got any comments on those armies, and uh, the the Pontic is there as a challenge for you all, come up with a come up with a good cop a good uh, viable Pontic army for a classical theme or even an open if you're really feeling brave and let us all know what it is. Start a topic on the Discord or the forum. And, uh... Yeah, everywhere. Every, it's going to be the topic of conversation in mean, the Meg world. I'm convinced of it. Or I've been on the happy pills again. I'm not sure which. <laughs> yes. Anyway, moving on to more you're, serious. He's declining to comment on that one. Yes, I noticed that. Everybody's declining. He's, he's off again. He's off again. <laughs> Richard, Richard's... At this moment, messaging Matt, <laughs> kill the recording, kill the recording. <laughs> OK, moving on to something of more interest. Uh, so let's move on to some other news in the Meg world, um, which I think, uh, again, probably is over to, to Richard, really, because um, as people will know, there's, there's a move to create a PDF version of the rules. Um, I think was, let, let, Richard is leading on that. Um, and has already done a hell of a lot of work, I have to say. Um, it's, it's it's not an easy task. <laughs> Writing rules isn't. Uh, I don't know if what this this project is even more difficult. Um, anyway, Richard, perhaps you can tell the so world the, what's going on. As was announced last month, um, the intention is to uh, produce a PDF uh, version of the make rules. Um, so uh, with the, the plan currently is that chapters one to six, 10, 11 and 12 will be uh, published as a free PDF. Uh, that if for those of you who aren't completely familiar with the rule book is all the introductory blurb and the sort of optional rules covering fog of war uh, campaigns, uh, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and then the actual main rules, so chapters uh, eight and nine, uh, primarily from seven, eight and nine from the rule book, are going to become a PDF. And because everything will need to be relayed out anyway, uh, we've taken the decision to restructure the rule book to make it easier to read and find things. Um, so uh, as of today, a draft including all the clarifications, FAQ updates with the restructuring has um, been prepared for review. Um, the main tasks needing to be done 
are sorting out the changes to the diagrams. Um, and then it's over to the layout people to set it properly laid out as a PDF. Um, how long that will take, uh, I really don't know, so I can't comment on the timescales at this point. So that's step one. Uh, step two uh, will be to then produce a Pacto specific PDF version, um, which will look at tidying up the rules from a Pacto perspective. Um, and they will be available as a sort of half priced PDF. And if you buy them, you get a discount of the equivalent amount off the main rules. I think is the idea. Um, and so I've started doing some work separately on playtesting uh, Pacto um, with a view to trying to identify and then sort out some of the Pacto specific glitches that you get in the rules. And I have to say, I mean, I'm quite enjoying it because I'm actually doing Pacto at double normal size. So Pacto is usually half the scale of Maximus. So the base width movement becomes 20 millimeters. Well, I'm actually doing it on double size. So all my units are 80 millimeter frontage. And so a base width becomes 40 millimeters and I'm doing on a six by four table. So it keeps everything nice and consistent. Um, and you can play through a game in about an hour and a half to two hours compared to the three hours of a Maximus game. Just, um, sorry, Richard, just for just to make sure nobody is um, slightly confused by that. That is just something you're doing as a way of playing Pacto. Yeah, it's well, going to be the new way of playing Pacto. No, the, the way of playing Pacto uh, doesn't change. So it was intentionally sort of developed as sort of a half scale, play it on a three foot by two foot table, but the rules work regardless of whatever your unit size frontage is. So um, I'm just, it's basically because my eyesight and my measuring fiddly amounts is, is a bit tricky that um, it's actually quite good to test things out on the um, larger scale. But it's exactly the identical rules. And now the rule book will still uh, recommend the, the unit frontage for 15 millimeter troops will remain standard basing of 40 millimeters. Yeah. That means it's, it's, it's a good illustration of how you just know, so there's a little bit of a little bit of common sense. You can scale scale these rules, as as to be honest with most rules, to whatever whatever scale your figures are. As you say, you Indeed. work your base frontage out. And your movement rates and go with it. Yeah, and I've I've also done Pacto in 25 mil um, with 60 millimeter frontage units as well. Um, so uh, that's where we are with the rules. Um, and uh, as I've said, we'll incorporate all the clarifications, uh, FAQs, and all the errata. Um, hopefully without introducing new errors. Uh, I have to say the whole exercise is one in change control from start to finish. 
trying to make sure that we're not introducing any new errors. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm keeping fingers crossed on that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's been keeping me somewhat busy. Also, what's keeping me busy is the 2023 army lists. Um, so, um, no hugely significant changes for 2023, um, but um, uh the 2023 list will be in a easier to um read from a tablet format or a phone format uh, because we're incorporating notes into the context where they are so the notes will appear next to the troop type that they apply to rather than having all the notes separate um also, um, the P, the Magna and Pacto lists will go, will be produced separately, not incorporated with the Maximus lists. Um, but um, uh, there's that. The, the most significant changes that are coming along are to Hellenistic Thoriophori, which we saw touched on in with the later Ptolemaic. So there will be an all or none option for um, most Thoriophori to be um, a loose experienced javelin short spear as opposed to the long spear. Uh, and they will lose the shove that they've had previously. Um, uh, there's quite a lot of research actually that shows you can't actually shove with a Thoriophori where you could with an aspis. It's all to do with the shape of the shield and how you can apply pressure to somebody else's back. Um, uh, but um, obviously you save the points if they don't have shove. Um, the other big change, courtesy of Mr. Gork Roger here, is the two legionaries who are going to get an option for the imperial Roman onwards um, to have uh, a, a shield wall option. Um, but, and but not for the guys who've got impact weapon. But not for the guys who've got impact weapon. This is for the later Romans. So don't panic. You're not going to get impact weapon, shield wall, shield cover melics, but superior legionaries flying <laughs> at you. Yeah. Um, All three of them. But the shield wall will um, extend as an option to uh, Byzantines up into the um, uh, Marician period. Uh, and indeed, there is a new list for Heraclean Byzantine uh, for the campaigns of Heraclius in Persia, where he had a better drilled army. And what other changes we got? We've got a new. Aishi militia Japanese list. Um, and we are doing a bit of restructuring of the list such that the French medieval lists, the feudal and northern and southern medieval French, will move into the Valois list set. Um, and a few of the African armies that fought in Spain will move into the Reconquista list set. Um, Arab Indian is moving into the Indian list set. 
um, uh, and a couple of the obscure Arab ones are moving from the Byzantine uh, list set into the Egypt and Judea list set. Uh, finally, the uh, Assyria and Babylon chariot era list set will uh, be split in two. So there'll be a bronze and iron list set and then an Assyria and Babylon list set. So there'll be four chariot era list sets. Right. Uh, all the armies will have an index number which will comprise first digit will be the era. So one for chariot, two for classical, three for early medieval, four for Asian, five for medieval, uh, uh, six for Americas and seven for Renaissance. Uh, and there'll be two list sets for the Renaissance Italian Wars and the three late Japanese ones, Takeda, Nobunaga and Sengoku, will go into a Renaissance Japanese list set. Uh, and then all uh, the second digit will be the list set number itself, and the final two digits will be the number for the army. Uh, and when listing allies, it will list the index number for the uh, ally. So you can locate your ally quickly. It will also give the index numbers for the historical enemies as well. That's a lot of work, Richard. Uh, it's yes, some of it I had done earlier in the year prepared, so uh, it's easier to do. But there is, yes, there is a little bit of work been going on. Just, just make one comment back to since you've you blamed me for the, uh, the the changes to the uh, later Roman lists is <laughs> just to reassure anybody who's got the list, which includes me. Uh, your existing lists will still be legal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so if you've got the army or if you're building the army, I know some, at least one person, possibly two, who are building the army at the moment. If you're building an army to the current list, it'll be okay next be, year. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's going good. to be pretty much true, true of every list. Um, there may be one or two obscure lists that have a very minor change, but pretty much any list that's valid in 2022 uh, is probably going to still be valid for 2023. It's not good. And the, um, the Italian Wars becoming a Renaissance list is just a sort of name change, isn't it? It's a, it's a name change. It's to give competition organisers the option of including or excluding uh, Rena the Renaissance armies from an open competition, which to, which it actually had anyway. A yeah, comp a competition organizer can set whatever they like. <laughs> yeah, I mean the 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 reason the Italian Wars list set was originally created was Reg didn't exist at the time, and people demanded it. But yeah. really, the Renaissance Italian Wars lists in my opinion, don't sit comfortably in an open competition. But, yeah, but obviously, com but I don't, I don't organise all the competitions. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, neither do I. So, you know, <laughs> and we are grateful for everybody who does. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed, yeah. Okay, well, Rick. Sorry, can I just, just, just quickly thank Richard for his latest um, army list 
Excel spreadsheet. The, the small quality of life thing about the PBS and the scouting. I didn't think it was that important until I started opening older sheets and thinking, why can I not see precisely how many scouting <laughs> points are? It's, it's great. It really is yeah, good. I, I, I may have copied some of my armies into the new list um, builder just because of that. You say, well, how close am I to an extra scouting card or an extra PBS card? It's a remark. Yeah. It's, it's a rem this was an addictive addition. Yeah. It, it's one of those things you think, why didn't we think of it three, four years ago? <laughs> <laughs> because there's so many things that are neatly done. Anyway, guys, I think we, unless we've got, I suppose, any other business, I just, oh, I suppose to say upcoming competitions, we usually do this. Um, in a couple of weeks, there's um, less than a couple of weeks, about a week and a half now, Skull Rollers. Um, in North London, um, 1st and 2nd of October. Um, but by the time this podcast is published, we'll be past the Liz submission deadline. So I suppose mentioning that is just to tell people it's going on. <laughs> um, and if you have, have entered and haven't sent your list by the time you listen to this podcast, I will be very angry by now. <laughs> um, so, and I have to say, as I checked, there's some quite interesting army choices coming in so far. Um, but again, hopefully, the runners and riders will be up by the time you're listing this. Two other competitions in October, uh, 22nd, 23rd of October, the Ribble Rumble up in Stockport, which is uh, any army between 666 BCE and 6666 CE. <laughs> I think they're calling it the Rumble of the Beast for obvious reasons. So that, that that's uh, still open to entries. And 29th and 30th of October, uh, Deventio 5 in Derby, um, which is a classical period. I have a feeling that might be sold out, but check on the forum or ask on Facebook or something like that. Will Denham organises that. Um, at Boards and Swords Hobbies in Derby. So they're the ones upcoming. And on that note, unless Richard or Matt have anything else they wish to pass on to the world, wonderful world of Meg, we'll call that a wrap. Just just want to thank Richard for his his his, his potted history, which as always was uh, really rather good. I rather Indeed. enjoyed listening to that. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, guys. And... Um, We'll be back again in a few weeks' time, all being well.